All right, good morning. Let's go ahead and get started this morning. It's good to see each of you here. Uh, I'd encourage you to get a bulletin. Uh, a couple things that are, are kind of important coming up at the toward the end of July, which is not that far away, uh, we have our Backyard Bible Club, and we're needing people to volunteer for that. Uh, so we'll need help setting up the inflatables. We'll need help with the food, uh, all of that. We'll probably try to make some efforts to, to put out flyers between now and then. Uh, so if you would, uh, would, uh, wouldn't mind helping with that, just let me know. Um, also in the month of July, we're going to have our, our ministry team signups. Um, and so we're just doing that a little bit differently. Typically I work with the, uh, committee to try to, you know, locate people and specifically ask them to serve in roles. Uh, but we're wanting to just open that up. The, the Bible teaches that every member of the church is placed here sovereignly by God and given specific gifts to be used in, in the body. And uh, we only function well when the whole body is, is at work ministering, uh, using the gifts that God has, has given to you. So we really want you to pray about that and encourage you to think about what the Lord might lead you to do. Uh, next week when you get here, there will be a sign-up sheet with all the, the different ministry teams and and uh, roles that are, are open there. So uh, that, that'll be starting next week. At this time, I'll turn it over to Jared, and we'll get our service started. I want to do a sort of a scripture medley this morning, so I'm not going to tell you one verse to turn to because I'm going to read several different verses to you. But uh, this week, we have our 4th of July celebration as a nation, and I wanted to think about praying for uh, our country and for the leaders of our country so to set our minds toward that task and to help us understand what kind of goes into that process, I just wanted to, to read a few verses, but I've got a few remarks here as well. So the first couple of verses we're going to look at, we'll look at Jeremiah, and then we'll look at a, a, a text in Proverbs. But what we're going to see here is that God is the ultimate ruler over the nations. And we know that, right? But it just kind of helps to say it. So we see that show up in, in titles like the King of Kings. Well, that's not just a, a neat sounding phrase. Think about what's being said there, what's stated positively, that, that Christ is the king over all other kings. Like whether they worship him or not, he has authority over them. Uh, so well, that's what we see here is that God is ultimately the ruler of the nations. Therefore, we make our appeals for the nations to God. We trust that God is able to guide <coughs> any nation or political party in response to our prayers, no matter how wicked that political party or that nation is. And so uh, Jeremiah 12, verses 23 through 25 says that he, that is God, makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. So we have a whole, a whole spectrum there. We have that God is the one who causes nations to flourish. God is the one who withdraws his blessing from nations and lets their leadership go into darkness until ultimately they're as, as, as useful in making decisions as a drunk person. Uh, and so you see God's judgment there. But then the Proverbs say this, Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He, that is God, turns it wherever he will. There are some other things to keep in mind. Religious freedom and flourishing will not come if we fail to pray for God's blessings on the land in which we live. So we see this coming from places like Jeremiah 29, verse 7. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. So here is specifically not just in that really great country called America where we all love to be citizens, but wherever we might find ourselves under whatever political party or no matter how vexing politics might be, here he says the people that have come in and destroyed your kings and taken you captive even pray for their welfare because when they prosper, you prosper. So we, we see that we're, we're to pray no matter what we think about those in charge. And then we see that again kind of showing up in 1 Timothy in the New Testament here. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 and says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. To what end, Paul? Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So, Keeping these things in mind, let's pray for our nation and for the leaders of our nation. Father, we come to you this morning and we do thank you for the privilege of being Americans. God, we so much wealth, so much blessing, so much peace, so much opportunity exists in the, in the country that we are uh, members of. And God, when we stop and consider uh, what your word says in Acts, it says that you determine the times that we live and the boundaries of our habitation. We're American because you've chosen for us to be American. God, we live in this country with its privileges, with its wealth, with its opportunities, with its blessings, with its peace, with all the things that we love and, and all the things that we don't love about America. We're here because you have planted us to be here. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are wise, that you are sovereign, that you are in control of the times of our habitation and the boundaries of the, that habitation. God, we're, we're thankful that if, we, that, that if we die in deepest, darkest Africa, giving our lives for the gospel, that that's appointed by you, that, that you're in control of where we're born and where we go and, and where our life ends, and we, we entrust ourselves to you. God, we recognize what we saw in these verses, that you are the ruler over rulers. No power, no authority, no right to rule, no claim to government, Lord. No, no political power exists that does not have its source ultimately in you. Not the wickedness, but the authority and the right to rule comes from your throne. And so we recognize that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how dark or how light we think the political landscape is, that you are sovereign over it. And we rejoice in that fact. We trust and hope in that, that nothing happens apart from your, your allowing it to happen, that you are in control of, of king's decisions, of president's decisions, of, of, of prime minister's decisions. And so we, we appeal to you, O oh God, that you would do what's right because you have promised and told us and, and helped us see that their decisions you turn like, like, like channels of water. What they do is ultimately uh, controlled by your, your divine decree. It's controlled by your power, Lord, and you do as you please on the, on the face of the earth. And we, we appeal to you then. And we do that, God, as we see Jeremiah pleading in the Old Testament and Paul teaching Timothy to do in the New Testament that you would give us government that is godly, government that is good. We don't expect salvation through them. We don't expect them to be Christianized. Uh, we don't expect, God, that, that, that we're going to be a Christian nation. We do, ex we do pray that our government would grant us re religious freedom, though. We do pray, O oh God, that you would give us rulers and, and congressmen 
and women, that you would give us governors and mayors and appoint as president people over us who will allow us as your people to lead peaceful and quiet lives, to be able to be godly, to live godly and dignified in every way. And God, we ask that, that you would give us the, the, the desire to continue to pray for these things. As we think about our nation, we think about, God, uh, the, the length that has existed and, and the, the, the beauty and glory that is America, God, and the, the, the dream we call the American dream and how others want to come here from all around the world. We recognize that in part what draws them here is the blessings that you continue to give. And so we pray that they would continue to be sustained. We ask, God, that we would be a nation that protects life, a nation that protects religious freedom, God, we, that we would be an, a nation that allows your people to live in peace and in dignity. We pray that the attitude that is hardening about Christianity, that is becoming suspicious about religion and particularly the Christian religion, we pray that you would, would hold back the harm effects, Lord, that seem inevitable. We pray that we would not see the days when it's illegal to be Christian, when, when the church is driven underground in our country. We pray that it would continue to flourish and prosper and bloom and blossom, that you would restrain evil and that you would do that, God, through the voice of many millions of Christian people praying constantly, fervently, biblically for the leadership of this country. God, restrain evil we know that, that, that it's not likely that you'll save every member of Congress and, and appoint only Christian presidents. We pray that you would restrain their evil, that you would help them not to enact laws, Lord, that are wicked and, and against your word, but, God, that they would hear the voice of your, of, of your servants as we um, speak and pray and, and, and platform for, for what is right and righteous and that they would enact laws that... that go along with that, God. We do pray for their salvation, though. We pray that you would uh, protect them and keep them and guard them and that you would turn their hearts to you. God, as we thank you again for the, the privilege of, of being American, for the freedoms that we have, for the opportunity to be here, God, would you continue to bless us and help that to go on and on and on, that our children and their children's children may see the blessings that we enjoy in this country. And we ask it in Christ's name, for Christ is our King and ultimate ruler, and it's his glory that we seek. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward at this time. Just to remind you what I preached last week, um, how we are to, to pray for those who are going forth to preach the gospel and, and pray for boldness and pray for God's blessing in that endeavor. And one of the things we've been highlighting, uh, some of our missionaries, but then uh, this month we've, we've been talking about Crossroads Ministry, which is a ministry that we're doing here at the church. In particular, Daniel and Sarah really spearhead that. And I was so encouraged I was able to go last time. And um, I, I got there and saw Sarah leading a Bible study with, with those ladies there. And that's just such an encouragement there. One, to see Sarah using her gifts uh, in that way and be willing to step out of probably her comfort zone to do that. Uh, but then, two, just to know that these ladies, not only are they getting a meal and getting some assistance and help, uh, but they're also getting the word of God. What, what a great thing. So let's be sure to pray for Crossroads. Uh, let's pray for Sarah and Daniel as they lead that. Uh, and then also consider how you might take part in that if the Lord would lead you to do so. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, that we have the opportunity to, to give. Lord, we, we truly do. This is not just something we say. We, we truly do recognize that everything that we have, every bit of financial well-being that we have, comes directly from you. Uh, it really is yours, and you've entrusted it to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us grow in that. 
uh, in that understanding. Help us to grow in the reality of, of that. Help us to trust you, Lord, to provide for us. Oftentimes, we don't give as we ought because we're really not trusting you to, to provide for our needs. So, Lord, I pray that you'd remove any idols from our hearts uh, that would keep us from being radically generous. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us here at, at the church financially, that we would be able to continue uh, to do the work and ministry that you've called us to do and to, and to even expand it. Lord, we pray for all those missionaries that we, we seek to support. We pray for your blessing on them this morning. Those that are going to be preaching the gospel in churches, we, we pray that you would give them power uh, through your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would uh, allow them to see some fruit from, from their work, uh, that people would be converted and that your children, your church uh, would, would be built up and grow up into Christ. Lord, we pray specifically this, this week for uh, Crossroads, and we, we pray for those ladies who are there, Lord, and many of them have made a lot of bad decisions in their life. Some of them have been sinned against, Lord, in some pretty dramatic ways that, that have played into their, their decisions, and uh, we just pray, Lord. We, we know that your grace is sufficient to break through all of that. And we pray that you would do that, Lord. I, I know that we were able to have some conversations even uh, this past week with some of those uh, ladies. We pray that the, the seeds that were planted would take root, and we pray that you would uh, grant to them new life, grant to them faith, Lord God. We pray for Daniel and Sarah as they lead that ministry. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for making them a part of our church and then leading them to use their gifts as they do. And we, we pray that you would bless their efforts there. Help us as a, as a church to come alongside them and, and serve uh, with them in that. And we just pray for your blessing on all of these things. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 will be uh, looking at verses 23 and 24 this morning. Um, as they're doing that, I, I just want to thank you all, for those of you who remembered to pray for our, our young people at, at camp this week. Uh, Pam and I took, took several kids uh, of our young people to, to camp and had a, a great week. Um, I was... Yesterday, we, well, we got back Friday, and, and then yesterday I was kind of looking over my notes, and Lauren looked at me, and she said, uh, she's like, you're preaching tomorrow? Like, it's probably going to be bad. You haven't studied all week. So uh, if it's bad, just know that I was at camp all week. Now, uh, the Lord gave me opportunity. There's time that she didn't know about that I had to, to sneak away this week. And uh, Lauren is my daughter who is kind of like me sometimes she just says what what she's thinking there so um, but anyway thank you for praying it, it was a great week and um, it, it was a week I think where the Lord was working on on the hearts of some of our, our young people and Paul uses the analogy of of crops and Jesus does too when it talks about the gospel uh, Paul says that uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And a lot of times, especially with our young people, what we see is not always just that immediate conversion, that, that immediate change, uh, but sometimes it's often a process where the Lord is drawing them. 
and, and I think that was probably occurring this week and with some of our young people. And uh, some of them are already believers, and they were, they were encouraged. I mean, camp is a lot of fun. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of, a lot of neat stuff to do. Uh, but th- it's also saturated with the Word of God, which is just great. From the morning time we eat breakfast uh, until lunchtime, uh, they're really just in, in the Word and, and then meeting with their, they have small group leaders uh, that are, are younger people that connect well with them and encourage them to think biblically. And uh, so it's just a great time. I'd encourage uh, you, if you have kids in that age group next year, I think we're already signed up. Pam is on the ball. And so she's got us signed up for registered for next year around the same time. Uh, but, but please do continue to pray for our young people, though. Uh, even as they're, they're back home, that what they heard uh, would take root in, in their heart. Um, now, Ephesians, we're, we're in the final greeting here. We, we are about to end the book of Ephesians. It's been, I think, 52 sermons in, in the book of Ephesians, and I think that's a great thing. And you might think, eh, it's been a little much. Uh, if there's any deficiency, it's with my preaching and not with the Word of God. Uh, but, but I think this is the kind of thing we ought to do as a church is to get into a book of the Bible and stay in it and study it so we really know what God's Word says and we don't just pick and choose uh, certain verses that we like and ignore other things. And We want to hear the whole counsel of God. Even when we come to something like a greeting, it would be easy to pass over this and just say, well, this is just a closing greeting and there's not really much here to, to look at. But I really do think uh, there, there's quite a bit here for us to, to consider. So read with me uh, in verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. This is kind of just a common greeting. Uh, this is in, in all of his letters, uh, he, he's ending it, and he's, he's ending it really with a ben, what we would call a benediction, which is basically just a prayer uh, sort of expressing a wish or a desire that God would bless uh, the people over whom you are praying. And that's what Paul is doing here. One of the things that we notice about Paul's greetings, whether it's at the beginning of letters or at the end of letters, is that th- there are two things that are pretty consistent in those greetings. In fact, in every letter that Paul writes, every epistle of the New Testament that Paul writes, he begins that letter with these two words, grace and peace be to you. Grace and peace. We see this in Romans 1-7, for instance. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single epistle of Paul begins that way. And oftentimes, in several locations, they end with one or two or both of those desires, grace and peace. Now, this word, in particular the the word peace, is a typical greeting that that people would have used in in Jewish culture. The word peace in Hebrew is shalom, and sometimes in a religious context, uh, Jewish people even still use that as, as a greeting when you meet someone or when you're departing, when you're, when you're going away. Shalom, which is just, may, may peace be upon you, peace from, from God. Peter uses this in, in his greeting in, in, the, uh, in his two epistles 
as well. It, it could almost, when it's used with that regularity, we could almost look at it as sort of a formality. It's just something you say. Uh, Jared and I were having a discussion the other day about the, the expression via uh, condios, and I, I said it. And I don't even know, I don't even think I knew what it meant. And he's like, you know what that means? And he explained it. But it's just a, a Spanish expression that, that, that means, uh, what does it mean? What, go with God, go with God, right? Uh, and so that, that really has, if you think about it, and you stop and think about that expression, it has some deep, man, that's, that's a good thing to say. But, but sometimes we understand that when we say things with such regularity, it almost becomes a formality and, and the meaning is gone. We, think, we say things like, take care. Uh, we're expressing our wish or our desire that when someone's departing, uh, they, they would go with, with safety or farewell, farewell. We're, we're praying and, and wishing that, that things would go. But, but this ending here, in the Word of God, and this epistle that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is not merely a throwaway line. It's not just a matter of habit for the Apostle Paul or something that was merely customary. Uh, there's something that is deeply uh, theological here. It, it is rich, uh, and it expresses a, a real desire of the Apostle Paul for the first readers of this epistle and, and his desire for us as well, that we would experience the, the blessing of grace and peace which comes from God. In many ways, in many ways, uh, these words, grace and peace, they're, they're a perfect way to end uh, this letter to the Ephesians because really those two words, grace and peace, which come from God and go to you through Jesus Christ, are really a perfect summary uh, of the whole book of Ephesians. Paul wants us to understand and see that the Christian life is one which is filled with peace and grace which flows from God and Jesus Christ to all those who love Jesus. This is exactly what we've been seeing all throughout uh, the book of Ephesians. Let's just jump into this grace and peace. This, this word peace, as I mentioned, is, is a word, uh, the, the, the word, the Hebrew word is shalom. It's actually one of those words, you know, there are certain words in the Bible or even in our culture, there are words that are, that are kind of difficult uh, to, to just give a quick definition to. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means peace. Well, yeah, that's right, but, but they're difficult to nail down because they've got this, they're more of a concept than just a simple definition. Shalom is one of those words that, that has a rich, deep theological concept lying behind it. A life of peace or shalom envisions a life in, in which, a person's, uh, uh, which a person is ordered rightly with everything around him. He's at peace with God, and because he's at peace with God, there's peace in his heart, there's peace in his or her relationships with, with others, and there's even a sense that, in, in which they, they are living sort of at peace with the world, with, with creation. Uh, they're living in, in the way that God has designed this world. This person is right with God, and therefore, because of that, is rightly, uh, rightly related to everything around him, including his fellow man. Because of this, because of this right relationship, this peace with God, this person is largely free from the chaos, disorder, brokenness, and troubled relationships that so many people in our world seem to 
experience. Let me begin by just kind of laying out maybe the opposite side of what a life of, of peace is. Uh, the, the person who does not have peace or shalom is a person who's not right with God. So you see, that's the fundamental key. To have peace, to have shalom, means that a person is in a right relationship with God. The person who does not have that it has a broken relationship with the Lord. That They're out of step with their Creator. They're not at peace with Him. The Bible says that, that we are, apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. Romans 5.10 says we're enemies of God. Romans 8.7 says that our minds are hostile to God. James 4 says that, that when we align ourselves with the world, that we are in a place of hostility toward God. And so to not have peace is fundamentally and, and first of all to be out of a, a relationship with God, to have a broken relationship with the Lord. Ephesians 2 makes this clear that that's who we are as, as unbelievers before Christ or apart from Christ. We, we are those who are dead in our trespasses and sins following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, when we are following Satan, and, and he really is our God, uh, he is the one that, that is leading us, we are clearly in opposition to God. It goes on to say that we were by nature children of wrath. You see, there's no peace. Apart from Christ, there's no peace with God. We're children of wrath. God's wrath is upon us. There's broken fellowship there. But that broken fellowship with God, it, it, that's not where it ends. It has all kinds of consequences that go along with it. First of all, there's a great weight and burden that we have when we're out of step with God, when our fellowship is broken with Him. One of the things that we experience that, that disrupts any kind of peace in our life is, is a great weight or burden because of our guilt. The, the Bible makes it clear that, that everyone knows really, in a sense, what, what is right and wrong. The, the law of God is, in a sense, right, written on our hearts. We, we have a conscience, uh, and, and it either excuses us or accuses us, as the book of Romans says. And, and there are many people, because they do not have a right relationship with God, because their sins have not been forgiven, they, they carry a great weight and a burden because of their sin. And, and they struggle with that all of their lives. They, they try to suppress uh, this guilt. They try to excuse their actions. They try to rationalize it, defend it. And when all else fails, they try to medicate it away uh, by seeking pleasure or literally sometimes taking medication or drugs or alcohol. Uh, that, that kind of guilt weighs on a person though. And so there is no peace. Not only that, when we're not in right relationship with God, we bear that guilt but there's also deep longings within our heart that were meant to be fulfilled by a relationship with God. But, but when we're not in right fellowship with God, we seek to fill those desires and meet those desires to satisfy those things in the things of, of this world. And so there's a deep longing which ultimately goes unfulfilled. It drives people to pursue things that will never ultimately provide satisfaction for their soul. There's a sense that something is off, something is, is missing. It's, it's kind of like an unsatiable thirst. Uh, you know, the, the analogy that I've heard used before is, you know, when, you, when you're really thirsty uh, and you go and you try to drink salt water, 
It seems like this should satisfy me. It, it seems like this should take care of my thirst. This should remedy the problem, this, this desire that I have to drink something. But it doesn't do that, right? It doesn't quench the thirst. And that's the way the things of the world are. Uh, we're meant to be in fellowship with the Lord. And, and when that fellowship is broken, we begin to seek it in money. We begin to seek it in relationship. We begin to seek it in pleasure. And we think, if I could just get this, if I could have this thing, then, then this longing of my soul would be met but the problem is you keep trying and you keep trying and sometimes you even get what you want and you realize no it, it doesn't provide that it doesn't take away that doesn't meet that need this is why so many people you see it all the time right uh, so many people who become rich and famous music artists and 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 actors they get to the top they've got everything they've got money they've got women They've got success, they've got fame, they've got all the, anything that you could want in this life they have. And there's no satisfaction. The, the longing of their soul is not met. They're, it's unfulfilled. This is like the, the woman at the well who had been married five times. She, she was seeking uh, fulfillment in these relationships and, and they kept falling through and falling through. They never would provide that satisfaction and so there's no peace in somebody's soul who's like that there, there, there's no peace when our relationship with God is not right our hearts are not at peace either those things never bring peace third the their broken relationship with God also leads them to sinful behavior which only actually aggravates the problem see when we're out of fellowship with God we, we don't obey him we don't submit to his law and when we sin, sin brings chaos, disorder, and brokenness. It brings greater and greater levels of brokenness into our life. So for instance, a person who sins in terms of, of anger, uh, the book of Proverbs says, Proverbs 29-22, a person of anger stirs up strife. When a person sins against God in, in their anger, they bring chaos and disunity and strife to everything around them. There's no peace there because their rebellion is just adding to this disruption in their life. Greed causes one to constantly be envious of others and dissatisfied with, with his own lot. It, it robs him of peace. Sexual immorality causes all kinds of brokenness. Just look around at our world. We, last week we just did... Uh, training for for all of our leaders on on sexual abuse and some of the the things that we need to watch for as a church and be on guard but you just hear some of the testimonies of people that spoke in those videos and, and you just think about the levels of brokenness that that are going on around us the chaos and disorder and and, and you recognize that the problem there is that people are out of alignment with the Lord. Their fellowship, there's no peace with God. And because of that, they're living in sin. And it's just creating all kinds of further and further damage all around them. Fourth, this person, because they're not at peace with God, they're not at peace with each other either. The, the disruption in our fellowship with God leads to disunity with each other. They, they constantly sin against each other, which causes them to experience a great deal of sorrow and pain when it comes to relationships. 
So when it comes to families, parents, children, spouses, in-laws, extended family, often seem to have sort of an ongoing tension, a strife, and animosity in their relationships. But the source of all that is that they're out of fellowship with God. In society, look, look at society around us. There's, there's anything but peace. Management is against workers. Workers against management. Workers even fight among themselves. In politics, one of the things that we see now is uh, what they call identity politics, which is really just to pit people against one another. So whites are against black, rich are against poor, uh, immigrants are against natural-born citizens, and on and on and on. There's all kinds of strife and animosity within it, uh, among these groups. In our world, nation is against nation, and sometimes even different people groups within a nation are fighting amongst themselves. The life of the unbeliever then is a life that is anything but peaceful. There is no shalom. There is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. This person is out of step with God and as a result, his life is disordered, chaos, chaotic, and filled with animosity, strife, and turmoil. So let's look then at the positive side. That's a life that is, has no peace. But let's look at the the opposite, really, of everything I, I just described. And what I, I want us to do is just walk through these point by point and see that Paul has been, been laying these out. When, when he calls for this blessing of peace, he's really just affirming everything that, that he's been teaching throughout the book of Ephesians. This life of peace, this life of shalom, is a life that begins with a restored relationship with God. You see, again, I just want to repeat it so that you're getting this point. Everything hinges on that. If you're right with God, everything else around you is right. If that fellowship with God is broken, everything else is going to be broken around you. So it begins with a right relationship with God. And we have that in Jesus Christ through the Gospel. We have a right relationship with the Lord. So in Ephesians 2.12, and you should have your Bibles open and you can just be flipping to these. We should be in Ephesians pretty much uh, mostly for the rest of this. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You see that? There's no peace. There's no relationship. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You, you were not in fellowship with God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then there's this little expression talking about Jesus for He Himself is our peace. You see what Jesus Christ did for us? In dying for our sins, He brought us back into restored fellowship with God. Our, our sin had pushed us away from God. It brought chaos into our life. It brings strife into our life. But the fundamental problem with our sin is that it had broken our fellowship with God. But now through Jesus Christ, we who were far off, we who were without God, we were, who were separated from the Lord, have been brought near because Jesus is our peace. So we have a restored relationship with God. And, and because of that, then all of the negative things that I just mentioned before have been reversed. They're, they're, they're no longer true or they've been reversed. Now that we have peace with God, relief to our guilt 
has come. There's a sense of inner peace. We know that our sin has been dealt with. We don't have to bear the weight of our guilt anymore. Their sin is forgiven. They no longer bear any guilt. It's a wonderful thing to be at peace with God. Ephesians 1.7 says that in Him, talking about Jesus Christ, in Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. What a wonderful blessing that you and I have. We have a right relationship with God. And, and one of the things that this means is that our sins are forgiven. Do you have guilt over things that you've done in your life? You know that was so wrong of me. It, it caused damage to others. It's, it's brought damage into my family. It's hurt my own soul. But one thing you can know for sure, if you're in Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. And you can have a sense of inner peace knowing that God has taken care of your sin. It's like the song that we sing so often, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, not just some of my sin, but the whole, all of it, is nailed to the cross. And what's the next line? Anybody know? And I bear it no more. You don't have to bear the guilt of your sin anymore. You've been forgiven. It's been buried in the depths of the ocean. God has cast it behind his back. It's done away with. The person who's at peace with God can be at peace with the, the reality knowing that my sins have been dealt with. Praise the Lord. Peace with God means that a person is also freed to enjoy God's good creation in its proper place and, and order. It is... Uh, it is our, our idolatry that leads so often to, to inner turmoil. You see, when, whenever you're living for something, uh, that thing controls you and often brings disappointment into your life so that you don't have peace. It's what I'm, this is what I'm saying before. The, the person who doesn't have peace with God is seeking for satisfaction in the things of this world. Entertainment, pleasure, money. You know, the th all the things that we pursue in this life and and they're living for those things but but what we saw is that those things never ultimately satisfy so there's no peace in the soul there, there there's no rest uh, there's a constant you have to constantly keep striving if your thing is money you never get enough money you you get this much and you think well i should be satisfied but i want more and so there's a constant striving if it's relationships you, you're always looking for for, for, to keep those relationships. Or maybe you're always in constant disappointment because the relationship isn't what you think it ought to be. If it's power, you always want more. These things never satisfy. But the reason that they don't satisfy is because we've put them in the wrong place. We're living for those things as if they are God. And when we get God in the right order and we have restored fellowship with Him, we can enjoy His good creation in the proper place entertainment and pleasure and these there's nothing wrong with money or success or being in a place of of power those things are not inherently sinful the the sin comes and the problem and difficulty comes when we make those things into gods but we we realize that we have been freed from that idolatry ephesians 5 5 talks about those who uh, are, are believers and, and how we no longer are, Ephesians 5, 5, covetous, he says, which is an idolater. 
you see, Paul is linking these two ideas, covetousness and idolatry. When, when I'm always covetous for more and more and more, whatever that thing is, is what I'm worshiping. If it's power, that becomes my God. I, I'm worshiping it. I, I want that. That's what I'm living for. That's what I'm serving like my master. I want that. Or I want that relationship. Or I want that money. Or I want that bigger house. Whatever it is, that becomes my God. But we've been set free from that. That person who's living that way, Paul says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. We've been set free from, from the thinking and from thinking and living like the world. Paul says in Ephesians 4:17, "Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds." You see, their, their thinking is what leads them to live for these things, but he says, you don't live that way anymore. You've been set free from that futility. You know what futility is, don't you? You know, it's doing something that, that really doesn't produce anything. There's no effect to it. It's pointless. It's like the Bible uses the, the expression, it's like grasping after the wind. You know, the, there's that breeze, there's the, there's the air, and I'm trying to grasp it. What, what's accomplished in that? Nothing. That's futility. There's nothingness there. And, and so it is when we live for the things that the world lives for. It's like grasping after the wind. And, but Paul says we've been set free from that futile way of thinking and from following in Ephesians 2 to the course of this world thirdly peace with God means that a person lives according to the plan to God's plan for the world the person's life is not complicated the person who's at peace with with God their life is not complicated by sin and rebellion or at least by their sin and rebellion We've put on the new self, which is created, Ephesians 4.24, in the image of God. You see, the person who's been restored to a right relationship with God is somebody who's sort of been brought back to the original intent and design. They're, they're acting once again in the image of God. And so they are they're, they're ordered rightly with the world around them. They're not living in, in sin and rebellion. When you're following the Lord and living for Him, it frees you from a lot of trouble. You know how much you just look around you and you see all the strife, you see all the chaos, and you see all the disappointment, and you see people and their life is just turned upside down. And when you really get to the heart of just about most of all that, their problems, it's sin. They're not living as they ought to live. And sin brings this chaos. Sin brings this trouble into their life. Had they submitted to God, had they lived for God, had they been obedient, there would have been peace in their life. In fact, the Bible talks about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you live a life of righteousness, there's a peace that comes. When you restrain your anger, there's no mess to clean up, right? I've got to learn that one again and again and again. When you're honest, and you live righteously, you don't have to carry this burden around like you might be found out. That, that's not there. When you remain faithful to your wife, your relationship can flourish. It, it can grow and blossom unhindered by past baggage. When you guard your mouth from letting things come out that shouldn't come out, uh, the, the kind of corrupting talk that Paul mentions in, in Ephesians 4.29, uh, th then you don't have all the relational conflict going around you. You just see some people and you think, 
What is going on? Do you just like to have conflict? It's almost as if, you know, they're sitting around on a certain day and it's like, hey, there's no trouble going on. I think I'll try to stir something up, right? I'm going to shoot my mouth off or I'm going to say something to somebody just so I can have something going on in my life. I, I, I don't know if people think that way or not or if it's just subconscious, but, but some people seem to live their lives that way. They want conflict. But when we live righteously and we guard our speech, it frees us. There's peace because we don't have all this constant turmoil and conflict with, with others. When you're content with what you have, you're not at odds with what other people have all the time. Over jealousy, a, a greedy man, Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy man stirs up strife. So much conflict is around us is because you, you know my, how much it comes from They've got something and I wish I had it. How much conflict comes from that? Uh, uh, quite a bit. I can tell you from being around teenagers, it, it's a lot at that age, but I don't think that goes away. I think we become a little more subtle and a little more guarded about how we express that, but I think so much strife in our lives and in our world really comes from greed. Uh, they've got it and I, I want it. A greedy man stirs up strife. But peace with God delivers, all of, delivers us from all of that because we seek to live a righteous life. Peace with God leads to peace in our horizontal relationships as well. Because my soul is satisfied in the Lord, I, I'm also at peace with my fellow man. We see this in, in many different ways. First of all, in Ephesians 2, 15 to 19, we, we see that as believers, we're brought into a community, sort of a new humanity, and we're, we're uh, brought into a place of peace with, with one another within the church. You can see Ephesians 2, 15 through 19 for that. But in our marriages, uh, when we have peace with God, uh, we have peace with, with our spouses. When husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives submit to their husbands, uh, as, as Paul tells us and as the Word of God commands us, there's peace in marriage. Do you know how many marriages would just begin to grow and take off if, if the husbands and wives would just simply live by that, by that one command of Scripture? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands uh, uh, and, and uh, recognize their authority and respect them. If, if husbands and wives would live by that, the, the chaos and animosity and strife within marriages would evaporate. Families are able to, to be in a place of peace as they walk in obedience to God. Fathers are not provoking their children to wrath. Children are obeying and honoring their mother and, and father. And even when conflict is unavoidable, because sometimes there, there is conflict that's unavoidable, the person who is at peace with God doesn't allow anger to, to rule them. They're angry and, and they don't let uh, the, the sun go down on their wrath. Do you know how many people have allowed anger and bitterness to rob them of peace for years and years? Some people, their anger and bitterness has literally destroyed their life. It has defined uh, many times big sections or, or entire spans of their life because they're angry and bitter over something. 
and, and it just robs them of, of all peace. But, but when we are walking with the Lord and our relationship is right with Him and we obey His commands, we live righteously as He calls us to do, uh, we don't allow anger to, to take over in that way. And so, this prayer for peace is a prayer that we would experience what Paul has been laying out in these chapters of Ephesians. But let's think about this. He, he prays that they would know peace. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's think for just a minute about the source of this blessing. This peace, where, where does it come from? You, you notice in that verse that he says, peace from God the Father and to the Lord, to, to uh, the brothers. So, so this is a peace that is given to us from God. And you notice also that, that it's grace. Grace be with all of you. We, we understand what grace is, right? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. In Ephesians, we see that all of God's blessings come to us in, in this way. They, they come to us by grace. They come from God and through Jesus Christ. They, they are gifts of God's grace. You see, what Paul is praying is that we would experience a peace that we really have not earned. As you look to the Old Testament, one of the things that, that you see in the Old Testament is this shalom or this peace that, that, that we are to experience in the Old Testament, it, it is presented as uh, really the byproduct of, of a righteous life. In other words, when a person uh, lives in, in a way that is in obedience to God's law, this person would experience shalom. They would experience peace. It's the byproduct of, of a righteous life. Shalom happened when you were obedient to God. But the problem is that in the life of Israel, you, you think back to the Old Testament, in the life of Israel, do you really see the children of Israel really experiencing a lot of shalom, a lot of peace, a lot of safety? Everything is kind of going smoothly in their life? When you read the Old Testament, in case you don't know, uh, that is very rarely the case. You get a glimpse of it here and there where they're seeking to be obedient to the Lord. But most of the time throughout the Old Testament, what you find is they do not experience this peace and they do not experience it because they are not obedient to God. They do not live for the Lord. And this kind of highlights, really all of the Old Testament highlights a, a great problem. If us experiencing peace is dependent upon our obedience and our righteousness, then we're never going to experience it in any kind of great way. You see, Ephesians 2, 1-3 tells us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And that we were following the course of, of this world. We're, we're spiritually dead so that we cannot do the things that we ought to do. But the wonderful message of the book of Ephesians is this, that these blessings which create an environment of peace or shalom in our lives are actually freely given to us by grace. They don't come as the byproduct of us living righteously, at least not primarily. They are things that God grants to us by His grace. So we see this in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 
you see, when, we, when you're experiencing these, the, this peace in your life, what you need to recognize is that this is a gift of God's grace coming to you from God through Jesus Christ. It's not because you've done what's right. It's not because you've been righteous. It's not because you've lived better than other people. Or, or if that, to any extent that that is the case, even you living that way is an act of God's grace that He's granted to you. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Our right relationship with God is based solely on grace. Remember, we said that, that peace in our lives comes from this right relationship with God, but that right relationship with God is an act of God's grace being given to us. In Ephesians 1.4, he says, In Him you were chosen before the foundation of the world. He's chosen you to be a recipient of His grace from before the foundation of the world. Do you know when that was? That was before you were born. That was before you had lived a good life or a bad life. That was God choosing to express His grace to you before you had even had taken your first breath. It's in Him, He says in verse 7 of chapter 1, that we have this forgiveness that we talked about. That comes to us through Jesus Christ. That's not something that we've, we've earned. Even when we think about our good behavior and the ways that we've, we've lived rightly, even that, any wise or good behavior that we have done is actually something that God has done in us. God graciously is the one who gave us spiritual life so that we could hear God's commands and be obedient to Him. In Ephesians 2.5, He made us alive when we were dead in sin. You, you know, just think about that. You, you can tell some. If we were to go out here to the, the cemetery and you could give perfect instructions uh, uh, about how to, let's say, change a tire. You, you could go out to one of the graves and you could say, you know, here's, here's the wrench. You put that on the lug nuts and you turn it. You got to jack the car up and you got to, I mean, your instructions could be perfect. But guess what? That dead person ain't changing a tire, Right? It just ain't going to happen because they are dead. Dead people don't do things, right? And, and the Bible says that we are spiritually dead. So when we look at the commandments of God, and God says, live this way, don't do that, do this, what hope is there for us who are spiritually dead? We're, we're spiritually dead. We're not, we're not going to be obedient to the Lord. We're not going to live as we ought to live because we're spiritual dead, spiritually dead. So any good that we do in our lives as Christians comes as a result of the fact that God came out to us one day when we were in our tomb and He said, come forth. And He gave us spiritual life. Ephesians 2.5 it, you, he has made us alive together with Christ. The reason that you can live righteously, the reason you can be obedient to God, the reason you, you have the power to overcome sin in your life and to do what is right is because Jesus has given you spiritual life. And so even that is a product of God's grace. Good and wise behavior comes from the Lord. He's put His Spirit within us. And so we, when we do what is righteous... We're just doing what the Spirit is leading us to do. He recreated us to be like His Son. Not only that, but our, our right relationship with others 
is the result of our being united to, to Jesus Christ. So all of this peace that we have is something that we experience solely based on the grace of God. And that's a great way to end the book of Ephesians. I think these two words, peace and grace, sum up so much of what the Apostle Paul has been talking about. We're at peace with God and at peace with others. And that peace is a result of God's grace working in our life. The one who receives this grace, we see finally, is the one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how do you get in on this? How do you come to experience a right relationship with God? And maybe you're here this morning and you think, man, my life is chaotic. My life is out of step. I've got chaos. I've got broken relationships all around me. I know I'm not right with God. I'm out of step with everything in my life and I'm seeing the effects of it. And you might wonder, I would like a piece of that. I would like some of that shalom that you're describing, some of that peace. And the way that you experience it is by coming in faith to Jesus Christ. Do you notice who is the recipient of this blessing? Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The way you experience these blessings is by turning away from your sin and in love turning in faith to Jesus Christ and believing in Him. And when you do that, your relationship with God will be mended. It will be restored. And you will then begin to experience the peace around you on, the, on this horizontal level as well. Maybe you've never done that before. I, I would encourage you to turn to the Lord this morning and to believe in Jesus Christ that you might experience the peace that comes from God through Jesus Christ to all who believe in Him. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning and I want to ask, Lord, that You would work in the hearts and minds of each person here, uh, that You would help us to know a uh, greater and greater levels of this peace that you would work in our lives so that we would see this. I pray for those who, who are not at peace with you, Lord, that they would, that they would feel uh, the weight of that brokenness in this moment and that they would be led to turn away from their sin and turn to your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would, that you would make them alive, that you would give them spiritual life, that they would be able to do this. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.